0: Good afternoon brothers and sisters and those joining us online, a hearty welcome to you all. What a wonderful blessing that we may gather for a second time today in worship of our triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and minds towards our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to bring praise to him in this worship service and also in the week ahead. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Karina Decker has arrived with an attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Byford, and we welcome Karina into our congregation. We welcome Brother Dathan Plater to our pulpit once again. He will lead the worship service this afternoon. Let's now join our voices together and we'll praise God with the singing of Psalm 16, verse 4.
1: afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise if you're able and worship the Lord. As we come to worship the Lord, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you this afternoon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and praise our trying God with the words of hymn seven, verses one and two. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So let us now confess that one faith with the words of Him, one. Let's now come before God in prayer and we'll ask for his blessing over this service. Let's pray. Gracious God and faithful Father, we love you, Lord. We love you for who you are, our great God and Savior. You are eternal. There was never a time when you were not, nor will there ever be. We love you because you are incomprehensible. You are great and your greatness is unsearchable. You were invisible. And yet, you are not far off and lofty. But you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ. What we could not see, we could see in Jesus. The visible, the invisible became visible. And so that you did this so that we could have a relationship with you. Your glory took on flesh, it walked among us. And Father, it's when we look at Jesus that we see your compassion. We see your justice. We see your love, your mercy. We see your very character. We see that you are the overflowing fountain of all good. And yet we love you not because it was in our own strength, but we love you because you first loved us. In the immeasurable riches of your grace, you, for some reason only known to you, you set your love on us. You adopted us. You made us your children. And Father, it's because of your love that you give us also redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you have given us forgiveness from our sins and fellowship with you. Lord, this is why we adore you. This is why we praise you. And so now we ask that as we continue our worship and we hear your word, we pray that you would fill us with joy. Jesus, you said that if we abide in you, your joy will be in us and our joy will be full. You told us that if we desire to abide in you, we must abide in your word, and your word must live in us. So, though our desire for this isn't as it should be, this is what we want. We desire to abide in you, the vine. We desire to be people of the word. And so we pray that in your mercy you would take your word, that you would implant it in us. Lord, we pray that you would not let the gospel be veiled. That you would not let our minds be blinded by the gods of this world from seeing the light of your glory. Let us behold you, our great God and Savior, so that we may take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ, our Savior. Receive our prayer and hear us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in connection to Lord's Day 43, which is the ninth commandment, which speaks about our words and how we use our words. We're going to read together from Ephesians 4. So Ephesians 4, you'll find it on page 1161 of the Church Bible. And in Ephesians 4, Paul is speaking about unity and the unity that is worked by the Holy Spirit. And so the the focus verses that we'll look at is verse 25 to 32. So Paul has been talking about the new life that's in Christ, putting on the putting off the old self and putting on the new. And now here he continues uh, these words. He says in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. And do not give, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So let us now sing from Psalm 15, where we sing about. The righteous one who can enter into the, uh, the holy hill of God, who flees from corrupt talk. Psalm 15, one, 2, and 3. Professional reading is Lord's Day 43, which is, as I mentioned earlier, the ninth commandment. Lord's Day 43. And this will also be the focus of the sermon. Lord's Day 43. What is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone. Quist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court, and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. So far from... Our confessional reading. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from Psalm 34, verses 5 and 6. Dear Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, After President Joe Biden was elected in the 2021 elections, Kamala Harris put out a statement on on Twitter. It was a statement intended to inspire unity and to create a sense of optimism for the future. She said this, Though we may be physically separated, we, the American people, are united in spirit. To which... Professor Jordan Peterson responded, No, you're not, and cliches won't make it so. But maybe you could be, and you have four years to get it right. Now, if you looked at the situation in America at the time, you'd understand why Jordan Peterson said this. If you looked at the riots that ensued George Floyd's death, it fractured America around race. If you look at the COVID 19 restrictions, it fractured America around health. If you look at the constant promotion of a transgender ideology, you see that America was splitting around sexuality, and the list could go on. The American people at this point were not united, but more polarized than ever. But maybe you're thinking to yourself who cares about American politics? After all, we're in Australia. What does this have to do with the ninth commandment? Well, brothers and sisters, the point is very simple. The point is this. Unity shows itself in very practical ways. You can say there's unity, but that will be seen to be false when you just look at what's going on in a community. Simply talking about unity doesn't create unity. For people to be united, there has to be a respect for others. It has to show itself in the way that people talk to one another. There needs to be a respect for ideas, for people and their situations. There has to be underlying love and kindness that people have for one another, for people to be united together. Unity only happens when there is a love and a respect, mutually. And this brings us to Paul's letter in, in the Ephesians to the Ephesians. If you look at the early church, especially right at the beginning, one of the biggest problems in the church was, was unity. It was that. It was between, unity between Jews and Gentiles. For most of Israel's history, the Jews, the Israelites, had been separate as a people group. They were a nation that stayed away from all the other nations. And when they did make friends with the nations, with the Gentiles, with those who were not Jews we see that often they gave up their identity as the people of God. And so, as you can see, it makes, very, it makes a lot of sense that there was so much tension in the early church between these Jews that had become Christians and also these Gentiles who'd become Christians, people who were not Jews. And so there was a great hostility there. And yet the glory of the gospel is that Christ came to reconcile both Jew and Gentile. He is a savior of all who believe in him. And this is what Paul highlights in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He tells us about the mystery of the gospel, and that mystery he says is in uh, he says in verse 6. He says this ministry, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through Christ, Jews and Gentiles were reconciled together. They were united. They were one in our Savior. And so therefore, in chapter 4, Paul is commanding the Ephesians to pursue unity. To seek unity in the bond of peace, as he says in in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the way that they maintain that unity as he continues in chapter 4, is by putting off the old self and putting on the new. Putting on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so if the Ephesians loved each other, if they, if they desired to be united with one another, they needed to put off the old self, which is characterized, as we read in 25, by falsehood, by seething anger in 26. And in 28, by thief and deception. Because all of that, it creates disunity. It creates disharmony in the body of Christ. And So if they were to maintain this unity as people who were new creations, they had to put away all this. But the fact that they were new creations also had had an effect on the way they speak. Paul calls the Ephesians, he commands them, he says, speak to one another as people who love unity and not disunity. And in Christ, that's the same command to us today. That is our theme for this afternoon, speak to one another as people who love unity and not disunity. And we'll see such speech, it gives no room for corrupting talk. We'll see that this kind of speech, it builds up the listener and finally That it overflows from a tender heart, a heart of kindness. So, people who love unity, who love one another, they will give no room for corrupting talk. Verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who heal. Let no corrupting talk come from your mouths. And the word corrupting, the word corrupt, it literally speaks of something that is rotten or decayed. So Paul says, don't let rot spew forth from your mouth. And Jesus uses this word in some of his parables as an illustration. In Matthew 7 verse 17, he speaks about a healthy tree. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree, literally the rotten, the decaying tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased or rotten tree bear good fruit. It's a very powerful image. If you just think, for example, of of an apple, you can have an apple, it sits in your fruit tray or your fruit bowl, and if you leave it there over time, if there's a little bruise on it, what you see is that rot, it gets in there. It's a process that breaks the apple down. It starts killing the cells. And the apple starts to become all shriveled and has all these blotches on it. And so it destroys. But more than that, it's something that quickly spreads. If you have one apple in a ball and there's other apples, the rest will start to become rotten as well if you leave them all together. It spreads and it destroys and it's destructive. And so Paul says, don't let rotten speech Decaying speech, speech that breaks people down bit by bit, just like rot in an apple. Don't let that come from your mouth. Don't let your mouth be a fountain of rot. And so what type of speech is Paul talking about here? When Paul speaks about falsehood, he also later mentions slander. And to that we can also add what our catechism mentions the twisting of people's words, gossip, and condemning people falsely and unheard. That is all examples of corrupt speech. So think of gossip. So gossip is passing on rumors about, uh, about someone which cannot be proven true. Gossip is also passing on information that may be true, that is, but which is unnecessary. You don't need to share that information. For example, it can be in a conversation, maybe you think of a group of kids at school, they might say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so yesterday at school? He was, he was caught doing this. Isn't that crazy? And it spreads, it goes to the next student and the next student. And those conversations, they can happen at school, they happen at church, at home, and those are conversations that destroy, they break down. But gossip is also more subtle than that. Sometimes our prayer requests, maybe at a Bible study, can also be examples of gossip. It's sharing information about someone unnecessarily. I just want to pray for so and so. He was seen with, with, a, with a girl, and I'm just really worried. So, can we pray about, about him? It's information that doesn't need to be shared. Maybe another example of gossip is the way we can preface statements. You give a compliment, and then you follow up with, a, with gossip. A compliment, and then you have a but. This. So for example, you know, did you hear about old mate? He got fired from his job doing X. So dodgy. But yeah, he's a good guy. He's a real good guy. Or maybe you begin something. You might say... You know, she's a lovely girl, I love her to bits, but did you, did you look at her clothing? It was so suggestive, it was so provocative. So you start with something positive and you end with a negative. And why do we do this? Isn't it because we want to gossip, we want to share that information, but at the same time still be seen as people who, who care about the other person? And so we say, yeah, you know, I I actually really do care about them, but I'm going to share this with you. We still want the impression of loving our neighbor, even when we're not. And yet, what's the consequence? The consequence is that the listener who hears doesn't hear anything after but. If you say something negative and then follow with a positive, what stays in your mind? It's the negative. That person or that family will always be defined by the negative thing you said about them in that person's mind. Are we really motivated by love, by concern? The gossip is designed at undermining someone else's reputation. It's designed to elevate us, to put us here and to put the other person down here. And how often do we not do that? How often do we say things that don't need to be shared? We pass along information that's not ours to pass along. As an aside, you know what? One of the the consequences of this is that it actually destroys accountability. Because if you tell someone something about someone, and it goes to the next person, the next person, the next person, finally someone who hears it and says, Hey, we should talk to this person about this. He can't do anything with that information because he doesn't know it's true it destroys accountability and what the other things it does it destroys the person itself it breaks them down bit by bit it destroys their reputation and sometimes even their faith one of the problems that has said that has come up in the schools is bullying just think of the families Maybe as adults too. Think of the people that were in your class who were bullied. Who were bullied. And what was the result of that? You look around at at them and you don't see them in church, do you? Maybe by God's grace they went to another church. But some have left the faith completely. Because of the way that they were treated. Because of the words that were said. Because they were destroyed by rotten filth coming from our mouths. They didn't, they didn't want to stay. Why would they? All they felt was rot. And that's just one example. What about slander? Paul mentions it in verse 30. Slander is, is speech that assumes the worst about another person. It's speech that, that fails to give people the benefit of the doubt. Speech that intentionally exaggerates when Reverend Poppy and I meet on Tuesdays, we do a bit of accountability, and one of the questions that we ask is, How have I exaggerated and made myself to look better than I am? For example, you can exaggerate how a person has, has wronged you, and then you leave out that bit about what you did in the situation. Or if you want to cast someone in a negative life because in a negative light because of their views, you set you share information but you keep some back. So that they can be seen as someone who's you know, not as wise, maybe less reformed, maybe just someone not worthy of your attention. And you share that so the other person can join you in having the same view of that person. See how quickly we twist people's words, we twist our own words, so that we can come out on top. We present ourselves as being better than we really are. And I'm sure congregation, we can keep going, but we get the point, don't we? Anything like that, it's corruption, it's rot, it's decay. And we know what it is. And that kind of speech, it creates disunity in the body of Christ. It fills people with suspicion, with distrust, and it generates disharmony. How can you be in fellowship with people in the church if you know that they're going to turn around and say something about you? And they're going to share that information about you. How can you build a trustworthy, reliable relationship? If we, as church here in Southern River, and even as a broader community, if we allow ourselves and we put up with that sort of talk, we will not be united together. On the surface, we will look united. But deep below, there's going to be all kinds of conflict, all kinds of hostility. So that's why Paul says, don't let rot spew forth from your mouth. Because ultimately, that is talk that grieves the Holy Spirit. It causes God personal sorrow. It says there, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here Paul is making an allusion to, well, actually a reference to Isaiah 63, verse 10 where it says, it's speaking about the Israelites, it says, but they rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned against them and became their enemy. He himself fought against them. God had redeemed a people from slavery. He established a relationship with them. He was present by his Spirit among them, building them up. But they rebelled against him. And so here the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be like those people You are a new people, a new covenant. God has made a relationship with you. His spirit is among you. And now don't turn around and do the same thing and grieve the spirit of God. You grieve the Lord when you speak corruptly, even as you profess to be a Christian. Because it disrupts the community of Christ. And by doing that, we oppose the work of the Holy Spirit in building up the church. The unity in the church is is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we speak this way, when we speak corrupting talk, it undermines that. We are acting against God. And that fills God with great sorrow. Because people who love unity, who love one another, will make no room for this kind of talk. So instead, speech, instead of corrupting talk, he calls us to speech that builds each other up. to speech that encourages one another. And that brings us to our second point. A speech that loves unity, it, it builds up the listener. So he says, let no corrupting talk come from your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the new man, the man that is created in the likeness of God, is a man who builds other people up with his words. If the old nature is characterized by destructive talk, the new nature is characterized by constructive talk. Talk that builds up. And it's a theme. Building up is a theme in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So previously in in 4 verses 11 through 12, he speaks about God working and building up the church that he uses leaders. So it says there in Ephesians 4 verse 11, And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So God gives leaders. He gives leaders to encourage the body of Christ so that they're built up together. So that unity is promoted, so that they edify one another. And then later, in the same chapter, in verse 16, Paul mentions again, he says that when the body of Christ is functioning properly, when, there's, when it's operating from a heart of love, then the church will grow and be built up, uh, will be built up, verse 16. And a key part of that building work, the church gathering work, the church building work of God, is constructive speech. Paul calls us to speak in such a way that we promote that, that we promote the church gathering work of God by the way that we speak to one another. And so what does this speech look like? Well, maybe first we should say what it's not. So speech that builds up is not speech that only complements. I'm not saying that upbuilding building speech never complements, but rather that it includes more than simply complementing one another. Nor does upbuilding speech never include a word of rebuke, a word of correction, a word of accountability. You see, in our day and age, any form of disproval is often seen as destructive, demeaning. It's seen as you're not accepting that person, you're not approving them. But that's not true either. So upbuilding speech is not just speech that only ever approves of whatever the person does or accepts them for whatever reason. And we know this because Paul himself disproves of many things in this passage. And by doing so, he's making a judgment between what is wrong and what is right, between rightful behavior and wrong behavior. Nor is upbuilding speech, speech that promotes secrets and lies or covers up the truth. Sometimes it can happen in in a church, even among leaders in the church, that individuals can weaponize words like slander and words like gossip as ways to hide the truth, to cover up things and to manipulate people. They do to, do so to hide people and to imprison them. They do so to prevent people from asking questions that keep them accountable. Because such talk is slander, it's gossip. It's not upbuilding. Well, if there is speech that covers up sin and that covers up lies. that is not upbuilding. That is against what Paul is saying. Upbuilding talk promotes the truth. And so rather, as I mentioned, speech that builds up is speech that promotes the truth. It's speech that seeks to honor the reputation of other people. For example, you might be in a conversation where maybe people are gossiping about someone. And so you say... Hey guys, we should really not say this about them. Let's move on to, and, and talk about something else. It might be a very awkward conversation, but that is upbuilding speech. Upbuilding speech is speech that helps people mature in their faith, that encourages them in, the, in their walk with the Lord. For example, your friend might be struggling with a, certa, a, a certain sin, and you come into their life and you speak words of encouragement. Maybe you speak about God's heart of forgiveness, about his love, and that builds that person up. That is speech that is constructive. It's also speech that sees good in another person and is willing to comment on that. Sometimes we don't do that enough, do we? We tell other people about this this person and how good they are, but we don't actually say that to their face. Think about how encouraging that would be. Someone comes up to you and maybe says, you know, I really admire the way that you care for your kids. Or they come up to you and they say, you know, I'm so encouraged by how serving you are in the community. You just have a real heart of service. Or I really admire how you stand up for the truth, even when there's other people that are speaking against it. How encouraging would that be? Someone comes to you and says as a compliment like that. Well, that encourages you because you know, hey, the spirit is working in me. God is at work. Wow, what an amazing thing. Upbuilding speech is also speech that involves rebuke and correction. Involves coming up to someone and maybe saying, You know, brother, I'm really concerned about this and this and this in your life. You know, I I want you to, to grow in faith, and I'm really concerned. The whole point is not to destroy the brother, it's not to bring him down. The point is to cause him to grow, cause him to flourish. The goal is not destruction, it's construction. All of that, those are just a few examples of words that are building words that encourage. Paul says a building speech is words spoken at the right time in the right way, and then he says it imparts grace to the hearers. That is such a beautiful description. It imparts grace to the hearers. If you look at grace in Ephesians, Grace means a merciful gift that leads to life with God and freedom from sin. Ephesians 2, verse 7 to 8, it says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. It's grace, it's the grace of God that takes enemies And makes them family. It's the grace of God that takes those who are dead in sin and gives them life. It's the grace of God that breaks slavery and brings freedom. It's the grace of God that takes something that you don't deserve and gives it to you because of His mercy. That is the kind of speech that God calls us to. Speech that brings freedom. Speech that makes people family. Speech that comes from a heart of love. It's speech that is honest, that is charitable. Proverbs 12, verse 25, it says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. That's the kind of speech that promotes unity in the body of Christ. That's the kind of speech that will promote unity in Southern Rural. And this kind of speech is pleasing to our God. If corrupt talk it grieves the Holy Spirit, then the implication is, congregation, that God delights when we speak words that are upbuilding to one another. He loves it when He sees us being encouraging with the way that we speak. He loves it when our words are gracious, that people walk away encouraged because it displays His heart. And so this is the call, congregation, to you. That is how God wants you to speak to one another, to build people up with your words, and it imparts them grace. It gives them grace. So, if that's the standard, how have we not grieved our Lord by our words and the destructive rot that has come from our mouths? If God will hold us against us, every careless word, That came from our mouth. All of us here would be damned to hell, wouldn't we? The only thing we can do is plead on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he spoke truth. He never twisted anyone's words. He never exaggerated to make himself look better. Not once did he hear something and he took it. And he spread it to other people and spread rumors about them. Not once did he unnecessarily share something. With someone else. When reviled. When people slandered against him. He did not slander in return. Rather he spoke words. That were gracious. Luke 4 verse 22. It says that the people marveled at Jesus Christ. Because because of the gracious words. That came from his mouth. They marveled at him. Because of the gracious words. That came from his mouth. His words gave life. Even Physically, his words imparted grace and they gave freedom. Think of the woman at the well. After the conversation she had with Jesus, she walked away and she was a different person. Think of the Sermon on the Mount, how he spoke to anxious people and, sp- and gave them comfort. He spoke words that called people to justice, to honor one another, to do honest work. As Peter said, he spoke words... Of eternal life and yet our Lord was crucified he was crucified for falsehood they twisted his words and that's how they destroyed him we read that in Matthew 26 he dis- he died because of destructive corrupting talk and yet he did this so that we would never be condemned That we would not be condemned for all those words which bear witness against us. You see, like all the other commandments, this commandment shows our utter need for the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And congregation, thank God that he gives that to us. That he richly pours that grace on you. And he covers your unrighteousness before his throne. See, Christ has made full payment for sin. In Him, we are we're forgiven for every corrupt word. But salvation can't stop there. A salvation that simply clears debt, as glorious as it is, can't change your predicament. It can't change our predicament. Because the problem is our heart. And that is our final point. We need to be renewed, we need our hearts to be renewed so that we can fulfill the lord's command you see gossip slander all that t- type of talk when we when we give a compliment but then follow it up with something that is negative all that sort of talk it reveals our hearts reveals the condition of our hearts Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 15, he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, thief, false witness, slander." Whatever comes from the, whatever proceeds from the mouth, it comes from the heart. And so if our mouths are spewing forth rot, that is because that's what's in our hearts. Unloving words come from unloving hearts. And Paul, he understood this completely. And that's why our our text so the, the passage there continues and it says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you he knew that if you are bitter against someone you will quickly gossip when you have the opportunity you will spread whatever rumor you can about that person if your heart is filled with anger seething anger you will happily slander your neighbor when you get a chance if your heart is filled with malice which literally speaks of a vicious a vicious attitude you will not impart grace to your hearers because your heart is not filled with love and so your words will not be endowed with grace and therefore Paul says to us in verse 32 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you Be kind to one another. You see, this is key, congregation. When your heart grasps the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, when you understand his grace for you, how much the wickedness that he has forgiven you, then that is when you'll start speaking words that are encouraging to others. That is when your heart will be warmed with affection and love for other people. Now, some of you may be having a hard time with this struggling with it. And if you are, think of all that Christ has forgiven you. Think of how patient he's been with you. Think of all the words that he's heard you speak. The good, the rotten, and the downright ugly. Think of all the times when he knew your heart and he saw the pride. He saw the selfishness. He saw the anger. And yet, he still loves you. And he still cares for you. And he still forgave you. If you are having trouble forgiving your neighbor or loving your neighbor, could it be because you've lost sight of what Christ has done for you? Think of the grace that God has given you. Think of his kindness, his mercy. Because the gospel impels us to love our neighbor when your heart is warmed, when you understand the grace of God, there will be a burning in your heart, a zeal, a fire as it were. And you will, your heart will warm with love for one another and kindness toward your neighbor. And that will show in the way that you talk. Your speech will promote unity. And we see such a beautiful portrait of this in our Savior. If we look at his ministry in Mark, in Mark 10, this is that passage, if you want to turn to Mark 10, it's a passage of the rich young man. So Mark 10, a, uh, a, a man runs up to him and kneels before Jesus and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your your father and your mother. And Jesus said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And then our Lord responds and he says, You lacked one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Then verse 22 says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now notice, Jesus didn't say that to teach this self-righteous guy a lesson. He didn't say that to push him away. But rather, if you notice, I skipped a line. And this is a line that's not included in Matthew's Gospel or in Luke's Gospel. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, sell all you have and give it to the poor. You see, his words came from a heart of love, a heart of grace, of tender kindness. And we see that even when he gives condemnation and criticism of the Pharisees, It comes from a heart of love. He rebukes them so that they might repent and believe in him. He rebukes them so that they might have another chance to hear the gospel and to come to him. And you see that tenderness in those words in Matthew 23 where he sees Jerusalem, the city that has rejected him. He says, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. Even when he spoke words of condemnation, it was motivated by love. It was designed to draw people to himself, to free them from the blindness of their sin and bless them with his his grace. All those words, all his words, it came from the tender kindness and love in his heart. And that's the image that God is restoring you. Lord's Day 44 says, one of the reasons why we preach the commandments and why we hear them Sunday by Sunday is so that we might be renewed more and more after the image of God, the image of Christ. And so this is the the image that the Spirit is shaping you into so that you would be people who speak words like this. The Spirit is changing you, renewing you more and more so that you would, so He's eradicating all that rot, all that filth that is in your heart and rather he's recreating you so that as a new creation you're able to speak words of love of grace words that build people up words that bestow life to the people around you that is what he is busy with in your life he's getting rid of all that destructive talk and changing you so that you'll speak words that build one another up words that ultimately over, overflow from a heart that has changed a heart that is gripped by the grace of god And his love. And that then overflows for everybody else in the church. Amen. Let's now sing in response Psalm 34 verses 5 and 6. prayer this afternoon, we will also bring before the Lord uh, the communities up north who who are suffering from all the the water and the flooding that is happening up there in the Kimberleys. And so we'll pray for those communities who are quite isolated, that God would, would be gracious to them and protect them. Let us come before God in prayer. O Lord, who may worship in your sanctuary? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill. A person who leads blameless lives and does what is right. Speaking the truth from a sincere and tender heart. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbor or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honors the faithful followers of the Lord. And keeps their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest. And who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people, you say, will stand forever. And Father, we look at that and we know that this isn't us. Who shall worship you in your holy sanctuary? Those who refuse gossip. That's not us. Who will worship you? Those who refuse to speak evil. And that's not us. Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. And once again, Lord, we know that that's not us. But we thank you that it is Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you never gossiped. You never spoke evil. You kept your word, your promise, even when it hurt. Even when your words led you to a cross. You lived the blameless life and your words were always gracious. Gracious coming and overflowing from the tenderness of your heart. And because of this, when you went up into heaven, when you up, went up to the sanctuary of God, heaven received you. You could dwell before our Lord. Lord, you opened the way. It's the amazing thing, so that we sinners, people who look at all of this and say, that is not me, that we can know that we will also join you in that holy sanctuary because you have covered us with your blood. Oh, the riches of your kindness toward us. Lord, we marvel at the fact that you cover all those words that came from our mouths that were rotten and that were ugly. And that, Lord, your spirit is in our hearts working so that we are changed, so that we are new people, that you are creating us in your likeness, in holiness and in righteousness. Oh Lord, we praise you because we as your people will be able to stand before you in your holy sanctuary, even though we do not deserve to be there. So, Father, thank you for your grace towards us. Father, we also know that you are a God of protection. We know that you are a God who is Lord of all things. You are Lord of the weather systems. You are Lord of the seas, the lakes, the mountains. And so we bring before you the communities up north among them, there are, there are a lot of indigenous communities as well that are isolated, that are cut off from the, the flooding that is happening up there. Lord, we pray that you would be gracious, that you would be merciful to these people, that you would see their, their groaning and their affliction, and that you would preserve them. And Father, that in this, in your wisdom, that you would use something so tragic as this, that it would be an opening for the gospel, so that light would shine forth in darkness. Father, we also, in this regard, pray for our missionaries who we have, have sent out. We think of the work that is being done in p g We pray that you'd be with Pastor Ryan and, and Pastor David as they do their work and also those who are supporting them. Father, we thank you for giving missionaries. We praise you because we know that you give missionaries and evangelists and teachers for equipping and upbuilding the church so that the gospel continues to go out. And so that your word shines forth and breaks through the darkness of human sin and human suffering. And so, Lord, we also bring before before you the other missions that our our churches are busy with. And also our sister churches. Please bless the work that is done in Brazil. Also the work that is done in in Canada among the indigenous peoples there. We pray that you continue to open hearts to your gospel. Father, we thank you that we will stand one day with people from every tribe, from every nation and every tongue and that we will all stand in your sanctuary worshiping and praising you on that great and glorious day. O Lord, may it come and may it come quickly. Please receive our offerings, bless us in the rest of this day and hear us, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. As you give of your offerings, which is for the the work of mission in P&G, remember the words of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 7, which says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then afterwards we'll sing hymn 52, verses 2, 3, and 5. the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.